Becca and her two twin sons, Jacob and Esau, stuff about red stew, stuff about birthrights, and blessing from the father. And again, Isaac is present, but he's kind of this senile old man feeling an arm covered with goat hair going, is that, which son is that? Right? He's got somewhat of a passive role in those chapters as well. In our way of thinking, we may see that as a negative. You know, man, if, if you want to be a, a hero of the faith, you've got to take an active role. You've got to go for it. You've got to be a, a driver personality type. Um, in God's economy, he uses all kinds of people, all kinds of different personalities, all kinds of different perspectives. And I know that because in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it's called the faith chapter, there's a paragraph in there commemorating some of the Old Testament patriarchs, the heroes of the faith, Isaac makes it into Hebrews 11 in that chapter of faith. And it says this of Isaac in the New Testament, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And I think uh, maybe for, for those of you today, maybe you're sitting here going, good, because I'm not a type A personality. I'm more of an easygoing person that you know, takes life as it comes. God has a message for you in the life of Isaac. You don't need to be a mover and shaker, a CEO, uh, the head of uh, some big organization. In fact, I see in Isaac's life that submissiveness to God is faithfulness. Submitting to him. That's a passive posture that just says, God, I want to follow you even if I don't know what the outcome is going to be, even if I don't have clarity on what this is. Lord, I'm going to allow you to work in my life and in my circumstances. So at times what looks like passivity can actually be a resolved acceptance to pursue God's plans and to glorify him. And that is an example of the life of a person whose hope is in the Lord. And that's what we see in Isaac. That will, that will appear here in chapter 22 as we dig into the story together. So let's read together in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham... And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So this is a story, as I, as I mentioned, it's a story of God testing Abraham. Um, testing in the sense of proving you know, this is a, when you see the word testing in the Bible, you know, don't, don't be thinking of school where you, you know, you take a test and regurgitate information and you get a grade. This is a kind of testing like, are you who you say you are? Uh, it's a, a kind of testing that either proves someone is genuine or proves that someone is not genuine. And so that's the kind of testing that God is taking Abraham through. It's a story of God proving the faith of Abraham. You look at those four labels that God uses as he's having this direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with Abraham. He, he lays it out. He says, your son, your only son, Isaac. What's the meaning of that name, Isaac? Laughter. Remember the, the stories when, when uh, at, now at age 99, God is reaffirming the promises? He's like, no, dude, you're going to have a son through Rebecca, or through Rebecca, that's his daughter-in-law. You're going to have a, a son through Sarah. And he laughs, Sarah laughs, and they name their son a, a, a name that sounds like laughter. He's, he's the source of joy in their old age. Abraham, take your son, 
your only son, the joy of your life, the son that you love. Those four labels that he groups together to describe this mission that he's uh, setting him out on to sacrifice. Really the, the, the personification of the dreams that Abraham has at this stage in his life. Take all that's dear to you, the promises that I have given to you, and I want you to take it and sacrifice that. And, the, and along with those four labels, there's three command verbs that, that God lays out for Abraham. He says, take your son, go to the region of Moriah, to the place that I will show you, and offer him there as a sacrifice. Take, go, and offer. Now, I can't help, reading, I can't help but read these verses and, and feel like screaming, Why? Is there anybody else that would join me in that feeling? Does this make any sense? I mean, we know that child sacrifice does not align with the heart of God. That was part of the problem back in Egypt. The pagan gods were, were worshipped in that way. Um, but here, this story in the, in the people of God, is, as, as the promises of God, the plan of God is to be laid out, here God is, is condoning and commanding child sacrifice in obedience to him. Man, people have a problem with this chapter, I'll tell you. As you're, as you're trying to share the gospel and you, and you share that you believe that God is, is the author of Scripture and he reveals himself to us in, in, in this word, in this book right here, uh, a lot of people in our culture will take you to Genesis 22 and go, oh, really? Explain this to me. And they will be screaming in anger and confusion, Why? I think, I think reading that first verse helps you get to the, the key of understanding that why question. God is testing Abraham. He's proving his faith. The question that God is asking is, will Abraham keep the main thing the main thing? And we're susceptible to conflating priorities and goals, flipping them around, mixing them all together, losing sight of what the main objective is. I think I've mentioned this before. As a youth pastor, I discovered that a lot of American parents have misplaced goals in terms of what, what the objective of parenting is. And as, as we worked with teens over a couple of decades, I think especially with the younger generations of parents coming up, we heard more and more of the idea that my priority, my goal, my objective as a parent is one of two things. Either to give my child opportunities or to make sure that my child is happy. And what we realize is those are, those are great goals, but those are sub-goals. Those come after the main goal of parenting is to raise your child to not need you anymore, to become an adult. If you succeed in that main goal, opportunities come. Joy and happiness and fulfillment comes. But if you didn't even know that that was one of the goals, and you made one of these sub-goals the main goal, you'll never meet any of those goals. They won't have opportunities, and they won't have joy and happiness. So that was kind of our lesson in working with youth and parents over, over the years. Here in this story, uh, totally different, I, I use that as an illustration, but really God is coming to Abraham and saying, do you remember what the main thing is? Do you remember what the goal is? Remember that this began with a relationship with your God, promises, a covenant Established back in chapter 12 and reaffirmed 
many chapters along the way up until chapter 22 here. Do you remember who your God is? Do you remember the promises that he made? Uh, Secondary to that is the fulfillment of that promise in this young man named Isaac. Have you made Isaac your God? Have you forgotten and lost sight of what the main goal is? That's really at the heart of what God is testing here. Has he conflated God with the hand of God? Mixed that all together and thought that what God provides is God in his life? Or is he going to keep his primary life focused, zeroed in on God, and then keep the provision of God in its rightful secondary place in his life? And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy progression, an easy slope for any one of us to go down. Where you start out saying, God, my hope is in you. I trust in you. You're my primary focus. I believe in your promises. You are faithful. You are true. You are good. You're good all the time. And we've got him as our main perspective. And then that secondary thing, God, you've given me blessings. You've given me Isaac. Isaac is a blessing from you. And all of a sudden we turn. Isaac, you are a blessing from God. Isaac, you were born when I was 100 years old and when mom was 90. Isaac, you're my son. Isaac, you're my only son. Isaac, you're the son I love. Your laughter, your joy to me. And we start looking at that provision from God and all of a sudden our focus comes down to the secondary thing and we lose sight of the one who gave it to us. This is what God is testing in Abraham's heart. So he says, take this this expression of my love, the fulfillment of the promises, and I want you to worship me by obeying me, by sacrificing what's most dear to you. And so Abraham has a long, protracted, drawn-out argument with God. There's a lot of why questions. There's a lot of anger. Did you see that in the text here? You know, he talks it over with Sarah. She goes, you think you heard God tell you what? None of that is in the text, right? I mean, that's what you would expect, right? All we get is verse 3. God gave some instructions. Abraham obeys. There's no conversation. There's no pushback. There's no questioning. There's no permission from his wife. It just says in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Again, we got a cluster of verbs here. He rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And all we see from Abraham, no, no, no discourse, no um, questioning, reasoning, persuading, cajoling, arguing. We just have a bunch of action verbs. When God says go, he takes all the steps that are required the very next day to obey and to follow. That gives us an indication of the faith that God is testing. What is the main thing in Abraham's life? And by those actions, by his obedience... And the going, we're starting to get an idea of where his faith is. Verse 4, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Put that together with verse 2, 
when God said, head to the region of, the, you know, of Moriah, head to the land of Moriah, when you get there, I'll show you where to go. He doesn't even know specifically where he's going. What's more, it's a three days journey. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What's that three days like? Huh. Man, you know, you've had, you've had ample time to consider every facet of this, of what you're about to do. Um, get your heart to where it needs to be. Three days to contemplate and wonder and cry and question and agonize and finally to resolve. And I think God knew it's going to need to be a little ways off. You're going to need some time to process this. You're going to need some walking and some thinking and some soul searching along the way to get you to that place that I'm going to test you and see where your faith lies. And so at the end of three days, they, they're approaching now the, the, the region, the land. God's about to designate the area. And it's, it's the day of the sacrifice. So Abraham, verse 5, said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He resolves to go and worship without fully knowing how that we will return part is going to be fulfilled. And again, we don't have his internal thoughts at this point. Is he being completely honest with these young guys that are with him? Is he saying, we're going to go and we'll come back, although he knows only one is coming back? Um, we, we, are, we are going to get a glimpse into his internal thoughts at the end as we look at a verse in Hebrews that tells us what he was thinking at this point. But here in the story, you know, I think there is some faith demonstrated in, in, the, in his pledge to the young men. We're going to go and worship, and we're going to come back. We're seeing that faith that he has, that the God who makes promises is true to his promises. And then the scene begins to unfold, and here we have some dialogue between the dad, Abraham, and his son Isaac. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. So Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice, while Abraham is carrying the fire and the knife for the sacrifice. And they're going on together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. You'll see that phrase repeated as God calls out to Abraham and he says, here am I. And now his son calls out to him. He says, here am I. And in just a bit, the angel of the Lord is going to call out to him and he'll say, here am I. I wonder what inflection he had in his voice in each of those responses. Here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I think we get a clue as to how old Isaac is. I mean, this is, a, this is not a young child who's unable to use deductive reasoning. This is a kid who's old enough, a young man, young, a teenager. Uh, we don't know exactly. He's old enough to, to kind of look over a situation and make a very perceptive, insightful inquiry of his dad. Dad, you know, we're going to sacrifice, right? Okay, we got wood, fire, knife. Uh, aren't we missing something pretty key here? It's a very, a, 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 
an insight that would indicate that he's a young man who's old enough to observe his surroundings and ask the right kinds of questions. And yet, he still is following his dad obediently and willingly. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. God will provide for himself the lamb. And that, that uh, phrase there, God will provide, that becomes a key part of this story. In fact, it, it becomes the name of the place that Abraham gives to the location where he encounters God on the mountain. God will provide. You are the God who provides. And in this moment, as he's had three days to ruminate on what God is asking him to do, it's not just this episode at 110 plus. Um, he's thinking back decades how at age 75, God appeared to him and promised that he would provide. And then at age 86, after he had listened to the voice of his wife and gone to plan B via Hagar and the child Ishmael, he, he again comes to that place of listening to God. And, that, and, and God reiterates at age 99, no, I am the God who will provide. I, I reaffirm my promises to you. And that that's the God who gave he and his wife new names on that day at that meeting. Reminded them that God's promises for them were for them. And they would be fulfilled through them and through their lives, through their offspring, through Isaac. And at age 100 the next year that God was the God who provided Isaac. And they laughed with joy at his birth. And now today he's still Believing in, putting faith in, trusting in the God who provides. In, in Hebrew, if you, if you read Hebrew, you don't pronounce the name of God when it's in print. Um, and so you say, Adonai Yira'eh. In the English songs that we sing that have this name of God, it says Jehovah Jireh. That's the God who provides. That's the name of the place that Abraham designates this location. He's believing in the God who provides, and he says, I will worship God. I won't worship the blessings that he provides, even when we're talking about my own son. For you and I today, there, there is a... I hope you're inspired to follow in the example that you see in Abraham. There's a takeaway. There's a, an action step for us. Remember that dream that God gave you, the, the blessings, the promise. Hang on to that, cherish it. But remember that it comes second. Remember that God has the first place in your heart. Keep the main thing the main thing. Hold that blessing and promise loosely. Offer it up to Him as an expression of your worship. Your spouse, your children, your career your future, the opportunities, all that comes secondary to him. And if he, if he requires you to lay that down, I mean, the most extreme example is your own life, right? There's a spiritual gift that never comes up on the spiritual gift inventories that people do. But it is listed in here. It's the gift of martyr. And that's the privilege and joy of laying your life down for the gospel. So that's a God... God calls that a gift, a spiritual gift that worships Him and glorifies Him. And we would say, oh, no, 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 my life 
has to take precedent. That's given to me by God. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It is. He's the main thing. Everything else comes secondary to, to the worship of Him. Keep the main thing the main thing. And so Isaac, you know, questions his dad, how is this going to work out? Abraham says, God will provide. And they carry on. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. find it interesting that within one chapter, God gave Abraham two contradictory sets of instructions. You know, I, I've heard people a lot of times say, God is leading me to, God told me to fill in the blank. Did you know that sometimes God will give you contradictory instructions? He might one day tell you, go here, and then later say, no, don't go there. Go here instead. Make sure you're listening to him every day. Can you imagine if Abraham at this point in the story, with the knife in his hand, when God's, God sends an angel to call out to him and give an instruction, would have said, no, God told me to do this, and carried through with the action. And so the same God who gave him the instruction, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, and there offer him as a sacrifice, the place I will show you. That same God is now saying, don't harm your son. Don't reach out your hand to harm your son. Stop what you're doing. And he was listening to God at both, at both points, at both callings. We don't always understand the ways of God, the purposes of God. We can't see the end from the beginning. And that's why we need to live every day by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To be coming to him with humility and saying, God, speak to me. Speak to me through your word. Speak to me by your Holy Spirit. Speak to me through your people, godly counsel in your life. God, speak to me through my life circumstances. Reveal your ways to me. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. You are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long, the psalmist says. Daily praying that prayer. It says, God, I, I, need to, I need to hear from you in a fresh way today. 
because there's circumstances right in front of me and I need to know your hand, your direction, your guidance in this moment, day by day. And for Abraham, he was in tune. He was, he was able to hear and it prevented the death of his son that day. As God said, okay, the test is over. You've passed the test. I know that you fear God. There's no question now. What the main thing is in your heart, in your heart and in your life is, is very evident. And then the promises are, are reaffirmed. We'll see in just a minute. Abraham carried out all the actions. Again, all those, those verbs which demonstrate the obedience. Building, laying, binding, reaching out, taking the knife to slaughter. And then God stops his hand and, and says, you've passed the test. The ram that's provided there as a sacrifice in place of Isaac. And that's in fulfillment of what Abraham had, had told his son on the way up the mountain, right? In verse 8, Abraham said to Isaac, God himself will provide for himself the lamb. And really in this little, in this little episode in the story, it may be easy to gloss over that. But I believe it's, it's a real indication of a unique perspective on the heart of God that God graciously gave to Abraham in a way that no other human has ever experienced um, or seen or, or been able to personalize and internalize. There's a lot of parallels in this story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son Isaac and the heart of God himself in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And God said, you know, Abraham, as, as the father of the nation who's going to know me, worship me, be blessed by me, be a conduit through which my blessing will flow to all the nations, I want to give you a glimpse into my heart. I'm going to give you a glimpse of something you won't understand in your lifetime, but you're going to know me better through this. Part of the testing was to put God's own heart within Abraham and that three-day journey from uh, that three-day journey from home to that region of Moriah where Abraham has had time to contemplate for three days the sacrifice of his own son what about our heavenly father for three days in the tomb contemplating the sacrifice of his son Abraham better than anyone else has an idea of what that's about he experienced it himself his son, God's son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loves, who died on a hill called Golgotha. Abraham has a taste of what that was like for the heart of God. Abraham, after God provides the ram to stand in place of his son Isaac, he makes this statement, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And God himself provides his son, who's called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That son, Jesus, to stand in the place of every sinful person and offer himself as a sacrifice for us. Abraham experienced what that was all about, that, that substitutionary sacrifice through Jesus. And then here uh, in, in, the, in the final paragraph, God reaffirms the covenant promises that he's already made to Abraham. 
says, you know, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to have descendants. There's land in store. Let's read those verses here in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. God reaffirms those covenant promises to Abraham. And and in that, I hope you notice, again, the heart of God that Abraham gets to taste and, and experience himself. Isaac was the son of promise through whom all the peoples, all the nations would be blessed. Jesus is the promised son of God who brings hope to all the nations. He's the one who had a, a mission to reach not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, everyone in sin in need of a Savior. That's the hope of the world. And, and Abraham himself had an experience of understanding what God's redemption heart is. The author of Hebrews gives us one more insight into what, what, he, what Abraham was wrestling with and another identification with God as well. So let's read that verse where Abraham comes up in that chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, uh, verses 17 through 19. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so part of what was going on inside Abraham's heart was resurrection expectation. He's thinking, this is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the creator of life. His promises are true. He's unchanging. What he said, he will do. If it means the death of my son, so be it. The God of life can give new life. He's got resurrection hope, resurrection expectation. That's what carried Abraham through this time of trial. And that's why God was able to so love the world that he would give his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because of resurrection hope, because of new life, he knew that his son would be raised and just as he's raised from the dead, we also have the hope of resurrection life. Dead in sin, alive in Christ. Hope for this life and for eternity. And God was giving Abraham a glimpse of that heart. And for you today as well, I hope that you have some of that joy that was in Abraham and Sarah's heart as they named their son today. As you think about the God of new life, the God of hope, the the giver of the dreams and the good things and the blessings in our lives, the God who blesses you to make you a blessing. I pray that his joy is in your heart today.
And if it's not, then today is the opportunity for you as you've got a glimpse of the, of the sin predicament that we have and the redemption hope that we have, not through Isaac, but through Jesus. That, that same lesson that Abraham learned is available for you to learn and grab hold of and make personal today that Jesus is God's sacrifice in your place, that Jesus fixes the sin problem in your heart, that Jesus makes you new and his resurrection changes everything. He's the God who provides. And today maybe you've done that, but maybe like Abraham, there's a, there's a time of testing that you're in right now and God's saying, is the main thing the main thing in your heart? Is the first love still the first love? Is there anything else that's crept up and allowed itself to dominate your thinking, your time, your resources, your priorities? If so, lay it on the altar, offer it to him, worship the God who provides. Remember that it's it's God that we worship, not his hand, not the things that he gives to us. And finally, in in the example of all those action verbs that Abraham carried out, there is an obedience plus faith that pleases God. And a lot of times we try to do one without the other, right? If you go all obedience with no faith, then it becomes some kind of human effort, futile uh, endeavor that doesn't glorify God, it doesn't get you anywhere, it just tires you out. If you try to do a faith minus obedience... It ends up being uh, cheap lip service to God. Say, oh yeah, yeah, you're the Lord. I'm going to go do my own thing now. But really the obedience plus faith is where the power is. That's where you're saying, you're my hope. You're the main thing. Whatever action verbs are required, I'm going to do it because you really are the Lord. And I'm going to lay things down for you. I'm going I'm to take the things that you ask and give them to you. I'm going to go where you call me to go. I'll obey. Let's stand together as, as we pray. And, and I want to ask you, as, as I close in prayer, that you also um, make a personal prayer to God on, on one of those areas that we've seen in the story of Abraham. Whether it's today to receive that sacrifice that Jesus paid in your place, to make, to make sure that God is the first place in your heart today, to put your faith into practice through obedience. Let's personalize it as we go to him in prayer.